welcome to Patricia's Podcast, where we discuss weekly religious and secular topics on modern day issues, life in all its power, glory, and yes, sometimes its ugliness. Thank you for joining us. And remember, the true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. We hope you enjoy this evening's podcast. Good evening. This is your host, Patty, and I pray your weekend went well and you are off to a great start this week and well rested from the weekend. So today we're talking about politics and grace. And yep, Politics is that taboo word. But how do we hold on to grace in the political arena? Well, first we need to find out exactly what grace is. God spreads grace, honestly, like a four-year-old spreads peanut butter. God knows you can't make it on your own. And that's what grace is about. It's grace is God's love. God spreads it all over. But what does grace have to do with politics? Grace simply is love bestowed when undeserved. When dealing with fallen persons, well, love is always undeserved, but we need to recognize the necessity of grace in every interaction. Those around you need your grace and we need the same from others. So God gives each of his children that unconditional grace, unconditional forgiveness, and more. And we are instructed as his children to do the same. I found in researching this very topic that there are six principles when expressing grace in the political engagement. It's biblical focus and discernment, humility and selflessness, respect, universal subjection, edifying speech, and prayerfulness. Well, what are the biblical norms? How do we respond to failure and disunity and division, something we see so drastic in in the political arena today? Well, all these answers are going to be found in the Bible. An example of this we'll find in Exodus 1 with Shiprah and Puah. I mean, here, the Egyptians fear the Israelites. Even after Joseph passes, his many descendants have children and grandchildren and so on. And in fact, they multiply to so great that they become extremely powerful just in numbers and they fill the land. So when the new King Pharaoh came to power in Egypt, not knowing anything about Joseph or what he'd done, Well, he took his people to look and he said, look around. The Israelites now outnumber each of us and are stronger. So the king devises a plan, not a very smart plan, but he devises a plan. And he believes if he doesn't, war was imminent. So what did he do? Well, that's where Shipra and Pua come into this picture. As midwives, they were ordered to oversee labor and deliveries of the Israelite women. And if any boy was born, they were ordered to kill him. 
that in the king's mind would stop future generations of Israelites from happening, thereby weakening their numbers. Well, the Egyptians also, to help with this, they made the Israelites their slaves so they could keep them under control. Of course, what the king didn't anticipate was that the midwives, they feared God more, so they would refuse to obey the king's orders. And the king, well, he decides he's going to call the midwives in to find out, hey, what's going on? And he demands to know, why haven't you followed my orders? Well, quickly, the midwives devise a response by saying, oh, wait. The Israelite women are too vigorous and, you know, to have their babies and we can't, they're so quick, we can't get there in time, sir. Well, that was when the king, the Pharaoh decides, okay, I don't need you. And he gave the order to all his people that they were to throw away every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. It's here we find the disunity and division because not every Egyptian's gonna follow his order. And of course the Israelites, they're fearing their Lord more than him. So was he successful in his power as a king? Did all his plans go to his liking or did God take control? Who really was in power at the end? I mean, if we look at today's politics, we see in God we trust. How many people have tried to have those removed from our government? I mean, you're going to find it on everything, including our currency. People over the years have tried to have this phrase removed and failed. <clears throat> I mean, it's on everything. Even in Ohio, in God we trust is inscribed on the walls of the Capitol. What about Daniel? How does Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come into this? Daniel 1, the king orders Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring all the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families brought to Babylon as captives immediately to the palace. And when they arrive, the king then begins to select the healthy, strong, and good-looking young men, and he takes them and makes sure that over the next three years, they are well-versed in every branch of this government and learning, and are gifted with good judgment and suited to serve in the royal palace. He wants them trained in language and literature of Babylon. Well, because they're the wise men and they're representing Babylon, they have Israelite names. So the king decides, chief goes to the chief of staff, I want you to give them all new names. They must have Babylon names. So he takes Daniel and they change his name to Belteshazzar. And Hananiah is changed to Shadrach. And Mishal was changed to Meshach. And Azariah now became Abinago. The king had ordered all his staff to eat the king's food, and this included the wise men. 
However, Daniel wasn't going to have any part of it. The four of them, they were not eating the king's food and defiling themselves by eating such things. So here, God then sends Daniel, the chief of staff, who then shows Daniel respect and affection. So they made an agreement between the two of them for the next 10 days, we can eat whatever food we want, which is consist of vegetables and water, and we'll see. Well, the chief of staff let him know, hey, if this fails, you're going to be beheaded. And Daniel was certain this was what he was to do. He needed to follow his God and his God's laws. Well, in those 10 days when he was called before the king, they looked healthier than those who ate the king's menu. So with that, God ended up giving these men unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And Daniel was then given the special ability to interpreting visions and dreams. When their training period completed, the chief of staff brought them again before King Nebuchadnezzar and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah. Those four quickly entered the royal service as the king believed they were ten times more capable than anyone else. So when we go to Daniel 2, you're going to see Nebuchadnezzar, during his second year of reign, he begins having these disturbing dreams and he can't sleep. So he desperately needs an interpretation of it. So part of his dream included this large man statue-like figure. Um, The feet uh, were half clay baked materials and half iron. He called all his magicians, his enchanters, his sorcerers, and astrologers to come to the palace where he demanded they tell him what he had dreamed. And he let them know, hey, I'm real serious about this. You're going to tell me what I dreamed or I'm having you torn from limb to limb and your houses, they're going to be turned into heaps of rubble. Nebuchadnezzar says, if you do tell me what it means, well, you're going to have wonderful gifts and honors. Everyone's going to look up to you. Well, this kind of sounds like threats and a little bit of bribery that you can find today in our U.S. political arena. And they had it back then. Well, anyways, the astrologers, they replied to him, Hey, no one except gods can tell you your dreams. And look, they don't live among the people. So, of course, the king, oh, he's furious by now. And he orders that all the wise men just execute him. I don't need him. Well, because of this, he didn't realize, didn't think about it, I'd say, that men had to now go and seek out Daniel and his friends, and they had to be killed too. So when the king's commander of the king's guard, Ariok, came to kill Daniel and his friends, well, Daniel handled it in a situational 
very smooth with wisdom and discretion. And he said, hey, look, I need more time from the king. So Ariak said, okay. So he went home and he urged them to join him in asking the God of heaven to show them mercy by telling them the secret, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So Daniel, he goes home praying to God for wisdom and interpretation of the king's dreams, knowing that no man can do this. God would then give him those answers, which was God telling Daniel, go tell Nebuchadnezzar the details of your dreams and his visions and about the coming events. Well, this included the detailed description of the meaning of the large statue made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. His head was solid gold. His belly and thighs were bronze. Legs were of iron. And his feet were a combination of baked clay and iron. Well, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, this large rock falls from this mountain, smashing it to bits and pieces. God said he was the greatest king. He was made, Nebuchadnezzar was made to be the ruler over all of the inhabited world. Even the wild animals were under his control. He said, you are the head of gold. Your kingdom comes to an end and will be inferior to yours. After this kingdom falls, a third kingdom, bronze, will rise up and rule the world. After this, a fourth one as strong as iron. This kingdom will smash and crush all previous kingdoms. Then the feet and the toes of the combination of iron and clay shows that the kingdom will be divided. Some parts of it will be strong like iron, while other parts will be weak as clay. This mixture also shows that the kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances within each other through an intermarriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron and clay does not mix. And during the reigns of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered and it's going to crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. After this, the king now appoints Daniel as the ruler of the whole province of Babylon. He's so impressed. As well as this, he's now going to be the chief over all his wise men. The king would then appoint Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to oversee all the affairs of the province, while Daniel continues to remain at the king's court. Then the king will follow his dreams, and he begins to build the statue of his dreams. Then he orders all the, ta- all the people have to bow down to each time they hear a trumpet-like sound. No matter what, if they don't bow down, there was consequences. The three wise men Daniel overseen 
did not do as ordered. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they flat out refused to do it. And the punishment was being thrown into a blazing furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar mocked on how God could not save them. No way. But they had no fear as they knew God would rescue them from the king's power. So when Nebuchadnezzar ordered the fire, well, he ordered it to be seven times greater in heat than normal. Well, that kind of backfired. So when the guards were taking the three to the fire, it was so intense that the guards immediately burned. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were all untouched by the flame. Here they defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Their dedication, their humility, and their selflessness showed Nebuchadnezzar, and instead of three, Nebuchadnezzar saw four walking away. The fourth was God. Nebuchadnezzar, so impressed by this, he shouted, Praise to God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because he believed that their God sent angels to rescue his servants, and the three were promoted to even a higher position of the province of Babylon over this. Now, if you look at Daniel 6, this is when Daniel, he's in the lion's den. It's here where Darius the Mede decides that the kingdom will be divided into 120 provinces and appoints a high officer to rule over each province. The king chooses Daniel and two others as an administrator to supervise the higher office and protect the king's interests. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king makes plans and he places him over the empire, the entire empire. The others, maybe a little jealous, well, they begin to try and find fault in Daniel and how he was handling the government affairs. They want to find anything wrong they could find with him. Sounds kind of similar to politics today. But they couldn't find anything, no matter how hard they tried. The only thing they could find was he was faithful and completely trustworthy. This man was great. They then decided the only way they're going to get him, their only chances, were to find something in connection with the rules of his religion to take him down. So they went to the king and said, hey, you need to make up a law that strictly can be enforced. Like seriously, give orders that over the next 30 days, no prayer, no person's permitted to pray to anyone, divine or human. Only you, king, only you. Or if they don't abide by this, they're gonna be thrown into the den of lions. All the administrators shouted out, Long live King Darius. They all agreed this was great. So the orders were given and King Darius signed it in law. The problem was David, 
He immediately went home and he knelt, as usual, in his upstairs room, which of course was wide open and faced towards Jerusalem. Here he prayed three times daily. The administrators found him praying and were irate, and they went right to the king, reminding the king of the law. And the king, who's actually quite fond of David and probably friends, well, he ended up spending the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this, and sadly, he just could not find a way around the law. So the king decides he has to have him arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king told Daniel, Hey, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, I hope he rescues you. The king then seals the den so that no one could rescue Daniel. Very troubled, he didn't sleep much that night. And in the morning, the king would hurry up out to the lion's den to fearing what he might find what happened to Daniel. In this, you can pick up, they are friends. They're more than just legal account, legal representatives of each other. Because in the scripture, he really comes to defend Daniel. When King Darius arrives and he shouts out to Daniel in anguish, asking if God rescued him, Daniel returns an answer. Long live the king, he replied. My God sent his angels to shut the lion's mouth, so they did not hurt me and have been found innocent in his sight. The king was overjoyed and immediately he ordered that Daniel be lifted out of the den. And the king then, he ordered that all these malicious men that started all of this, that they become arrested. And he threw them into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And they sadly were torn apart. King Darius sends a message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. And he says, peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. He rescues and saves his people. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. Daniel would prosper during that reign of Darius and into the reign of Cyprus, the Persian. Now, if we think about all of this, think about how this has to do with our politics and how there's so much similarity to this. If we really look at Daniel, look how he trusted and was dedicated to this man within his government, where both kings rule so differently, but in both, you can see a little of our politics in their life story. You find greed and mistrust, maliciousness, bit of jealousy and disunity, but you also find unity and respect and prayerfulness. Until next week, I hope you have a blessed evening and join us with part two about the politics and religion and grace and how they all intertwine together. And we're going to talk about 
deep, real stuff about our politics. Have a nice evening and wish you well.